scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, picking it up where we left off in verse 11. Paul says, O Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open. Do not not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Father, we just humbly ask as we continue now in our worship together as the family of God this morning, that Lord, you would help us to continue in our worship by giving our heart, soul, and mind and spirit full attention to what you are speaking to us now today through what you have spoken by your spirit originally. So Lord, may your spirit be our interpreter, our teacher, and give us an ear to hear what your spirit saying to this part of the church through the word of God today. And we ask this expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, is it possible this morning right now in your life, whether you recognize it or not, that something or potentially someone could be hindering your relationship with God. The text in front of us this morning, I think, reveals to us that that is clearly a possibility, that we need to be aware, and then afterwards we have to beware of at times maybe attachments or connections to certain things or even to certain people that can become a hindrance to our spiritual life. That can begin to interfere in our walk, in our relationship with God. As we have seen both in First and Second Corinthians, the Corinthian congregation had made the mistake of allowing the influences of the unsaved world outside to begin to have a little bit too much effect upon them as the people of God. Some of the ideas and patterns of the pagan world system had kind of even creeped into the church. And they were beginning to tolerate and allow things that were acceptable out in the world, but in no way should have been a part of God's family or the people of God. And the influence of the outside world was having a detrimental effect. And as a result, it started to infect the church life and a degree of separation was needed. And so Paul who had planted this church and like a loving spiritual parental figure in their life with greater maturity and as a loving and a wiser father begins to challenge them to deal with removing these things that should not have been a part of their lives. He did it very clearly in 1 Corinthians. It caused a little bit of ruffling of some feathers. He's been addressing things in 2 Corinthians. And here in this section, we can see he's really exhorting them to deal with removing any cancerous influences that may have been making the church or any of the believers in the church unhealthy, that were ruining or hindering, or as he uses the words, restricting their spiritual walk with God. And he opens here, we can see, with an expression of sincere love for them. And he kind of pleads with them from his heart, instead, to not be proud, but to humble themselves and to hear his heart in love in the advice that he's trying to give to them and not stubbornly refuse his counsel. If you look with me again, back in verse 11, he opens this section saying, Oh, Corinthians, exclamation point, my my 
precious people there in Corinth. He says, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us. He says, you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, he says, I'm speaking to you, notice, as children, like my children, you also be open. So you can sense Paul's longing for them here to know his love and to be receptive to his help. As he starts out saying, oh, Corinthians, the idea is, is, oh, my dear brothers and sisters, my precious friends and and comrades in the Lord, or my dear children in the faith. Again, remember, as I said, Paul planted this church. So planting this church gave to him that natural sort of affection and love for them as takes place that's sort of like a spiritual father figure. A lot of pastoral ministry I've experienced in the two churches God's allowed me to to plant and to pastor for a number of years, a lot of it becomes, in a, in, a, in a way, symbolically, kind of like parental ministry. There's care, there's love, there's, there's you know, a process involved of looking after and trying to help take care of the spiritual health and raise people spiritually into greater degrees of maturity. So Paul here, like a spiritual father figure, in fact, we notice there in verse 13, he specifically says, I speak to you as, that's a metaphor, as children. So Paul felt like this spiritual father figure in their life, this parental love. And he says, I'm asking you, hear and listen to my heart, he says, as my dearly loved spiritual children. I want to share things with you because I love you. And Paul had the heart of a father towards them. And even as any good father, any loving father, doesn't want to hassle their children. They don't want to hinder their children. Now, they think that sometimes. I understand that. I've raised three daughters into adulthood, and there were numerous times, especially as they started getting older, that I specifically had to say, I'm honestly not trying to give you a hard time. (laughs) I'm really, I know it doesn't seem that way while you're a teenager right now, but I'm honestly, genuinely trying to help you. I'm not trying to hold you back from anything good in life. I'm trying to help you, not hassle you. I Just with the wisdom and the love and the protective responsibility I have. And, and so no parent wants to hold their child back. They want to see their absolute best, right? Their, their health, their happiness. And so in the same way spiritually here, Paul wants their absolute best for their spiritual health. That was his heart towards them spiritually, like a father figure. And look, perhaps there are those in your life, like Paul. Perhaps there are those in your life, whether they are your own children, and I certainly hope it's true of your own children, or maybe just those in your life that God's brought into your life that you're attached to that have kind of become almost like spiritual children to you. Maybe they're younger in the faith or those just maybe younger chronologically, and and maybe you kind of have like a parental heart towards them. You feel like a spiritual mother in their life or you feel like a spiritual father in their life. Look, that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. Utilize that ministry. Let that heart be something that God works through you to help that person as one who's more spiritually mature. Or perhaps maybe the Lord has put someone in your life like they had put the Corinthians had Paul put into their life. Maybe the Lord's put someone into your life who's more spiritually mature than you who's a little older in the faith or has a little bit more spiritual maturity to a degree. And the Lord's blessed you with that kind of relationship. And they've kind of become like a a spiritual parental figure, like a spiritual mother, a spiritual father in some way. Let me encourage you, if God's blessed you with that and God's put them there to help kind of guide you spiritually, maybe watch out for your spiritual welfare. Maybe at times to offer you some counsel and and to give even at times a little bit of needed correction to help you for your own spiritual welfare. Let me encourage you, value that. Don't, Don't be unreceptive to that. Appreciate that God puts those people into our lives and he uses them in the way that he does. Paul expresses his heart here to testify of what he's been doing for them. He says there in verse 11, we have spoken openly to you, he says. He's reminding them, look, I've always spoken the truth in love to you, he says, very openly, that is very directly. Paul says, I never hedged on saying something that I thought 
would be helpful to you. I didn't with restraint not say something because I didn't want to upset you in the moment or I thought you might get a little offended by it. Paul said, because I loved you, I kept back nothing that was helpful if I genuinely thought you needed to hear it. Now, like any situation, Paul knew that meant that may not be that he always said the things that they liked to hear, but he sought to always say the things that they needed to hear. And let me tell you this morning, that is one of the clear ways you can tell the difference between someone who really genuinely cares about you and who doesn't. If you're married, you know exactly what I mean. Your spouse will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. When you got married, one of the greatest gifts God gave you in your spouse is a human mirror because they know who you really are. And so as a result of that love and that shared life together, you know, they'll tell us what we need to hear. And, and we should be thankful for that, appreciative that we have those in our life. And look, those who love us are willing to say hard things to us, direct things to us. And if you genuinely love someone, you will care more about telling them what's going to help them and benefit them than you will the uncomfortability of, oh, man, I don't like confrontation. Who does? Nobody likes confrontation. And you don't have to be confrontational to confront something. That's where we get all mixed up. Oh, I just don't like confrontation. I just, who said you have to be confrontational? Doesn't mean you don't confront the issue. Doesn't mean you don't confront something if it's harmful or dangerous or, or unhealthy for someone. If you love them, you need to get over yourself and confront the issue and address the situation. The Bible tells us in Proverbs... Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Yeah, as an enemy kisses up to you, your friend says, um, you may not like this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> because I would hope you'd tell me the same thing if I was doing that. So the Bible says faithfulness comes from the wounds of a friend. They're not, they're, they're not afraid to wound our pride or to you know, maybe just you know, cause us to be a little bit bothered by what we said to them. That's okay. Be bothered initially. I just, we're, we're friends. I need to be faithful to you. And I'd rather go to bed at night knowing that, hey, I told you the truth. I spoke openly to you and I can't control what you do with it, but at least I didn't hold back. I didn't close off and not speak the truth to you. So Paul says, I've always spoken openly to you. In fact, he even says there in verse 11, he says, our heart is wide open. Now, that's an expression, Paul saying, we sought to remain open and loving towards you continuously there at the church at Corinth. He says, our heart has remained wide open. Paul's saying here, no matter what they did, no matter what mistakes they were making, what sins they were even involved in, as Christians there at the church in Corinth, no matter how they treated Paul unfairly, no matter how at times, and many of them have, treated Paul wrongly and even hurtfully, Paul said, we never closed off our heart towards you. We always still kept an open heart. We tried to keep our heart wide open to you in unconditional love, even as God always keeps an open heart towards us as people, right? No matter what we do, God's unconditional love always keeps his heart and his arms wide open to us constantly. No matter how we treat God, no matter where we're at, what we're doing, God keeps an open heart through all of our flaws and failures. He never shuts us out. He never shuts off his heart towards us. And we should ask as God's people that he would help us, like Paul mentions here, by the spirit of God and his grace to always have an open heart towards people no matter what they've done to you or no matter what they're doing or what they're involved in, that we wouldn't shut our heart off towards them, but that we would always have an open heart to continue to be open if there's some way that we may be of help and benefit in maintaining that relationship. And Paul just simply asks here that they would now return the same to him. That's what he means in verse 13 when he says, in return for the same, my children, you also be open. See, Paul says, look, we've been open to you, so please, he's saying, I'm asking now that I'm trying to offer you some counsel, some fatherly advice. He's saying, all I'm asking is, look, we've stayed open to you. Would you please stay open to us? Just, he's saying, I'm just asking for a fair exchange. All I'm asking is, is I've kept my heart open towards you despite your bad behavior and your mistreatment of me. All I'm saying now is, can you just return the same back to me in fairness? 
Can you just keep your heart open, Paul saying, even if it's hard to hear the things that I may be trying to convey? He's saying it may be tough love, but please, he says, stay receptive. He's asking for their receptivity, and he even identifies the very thing that was hindering that and keeping them from being receptive to his help. It's almost as if he's starting to indicate that there was indeed things that they needed to hear, but their own problem of being unreceptive was going to make things worse for them. If you notice with me, look there in verse 12, what he says. He says, you are not restricted by us. So Paul says the restriction that's happening in your heart or your willingness to be receptive to hear the truth, he says, it's not us restricting you. He says, but you are restricted, verse 12, by your own affections. Sadly, they were actually causing restriction in their own spiritual lives. The word restriction or restrict means to hold something back, to keep it from progress or development, to limit, to hinder, or to interfere. And so what Paul's conveying here is this was their error. They were actually doing things to hinder their own relationship with God. They were actually guilty of doing things to restrict the receptivity of the help God was trying to give to them through the things that Paul was trying to speak into their lives. They were interfering with their own spiritual health. They were holding back their own spiritual progress. And how was that happening? Paul says, verse 12, he says it was happening. Notice you're being restricted by your own affections. He's talking about their affections. He's going to say for, for wrong things. Now, when we talk about affections, We're talking about a person's desires, their loves, what they're strongly attached to. You feel affection towards someone. Paul's saying the thing that's restricting your spiritual life is your own love, attachment, and affection for unhealthy things, for wrong things, for sinful activities they were engaged in, their love and attachment for wrong and sinful things. Paul says that's what's holding you back and restricting you from being able to let God help you. It's restricting your relationship with the Lord. And look, this morning, this is really great counsel, quite honestly, for all of us because we are all prone to this exact same error. None of us are above at times making the mistake of becoming entangled with or connected to things or situations or people, or relationships, or circumstances, or whatever, that can start to restrict our spiritual health, that can start to hinder our Christian walk, or hold back our own Christian growth. I ask you this morning, consider for your own inventory in your current life right now, is it possible that could be happening in your life in some way? That perhaps the word of the Lord and love for you as a father this morning is it's your love for that or this person or this thing or what that's actually restricting you spiritually. And it's holding you back in your walk with God. It's hindering your relationship with the Lord. That can happen at times. Sometimes we develop too much affection and devotion for something or someone, and it starts to interfere in a negative way with our spiritual life. And we have to be sensitive to that. It can restrict our spiritual welfare or even restrict us from hearing guidance or truth that we really need to hear as Paul was trying to convey to them. Now, Paul identifies, as we see here, we're going to see going on through a set of questions now, things that he's trying to cause them to see, to become aware of, that were these barriers to their relationship with God. Look with me in verse 14 and 15. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Then he starts peppering them with these rhetorical questions where answers were intended to be obvious. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Verse 15, what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part, he says, has a believer with an unbeliever? Notice verse 14, Paul begins simply first by making an important declaration. 
You see it there in the text. Look at the beginning of verse 14. He simply says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That is a declaration of a command that we're to obey. Do not be unequally yoked, he says, with unbelievers. Now, the caution there is the danger and problems caused by improperly matched spiritual partnerships, getting into attachments or connections with people that we should not, unbelievers particularly, those who don't share the same relationship with God that we currently have because they don't know Jesus at this point and stage in their life. And therefore, there's a struggle to work in harmony as God intends. The picture here of being unequally yoked, being yoked with a person is a metaphor. It comes from how animals would be yoked together as they would plow a field. And Paul's drawing on this spiritual picture here of two animals working together as they were harnessed with the same wooden yoke. And this is what a yoke was. A yoke was basically that wooden harness that was placed over the neck of an animal that was then attached to the plow or whatever that helped the the animal to be able to productively pull the plow that was behind them. And that yoke was intended to be something that had to fit properly. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. And he says, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus has a yoke for us as well. But here the Bible's saying, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And sometimes what they would do to be more productive is they would yoke two animals together because it was way more efficient, two or better than one, to plow the field. But the danger when those were farming and doing their work in the fields was that joint partnership of two animals yoked together to share the load and be effective. It was crucial that it be the same kind of animal when you yoke two animals together as you had that two you know, two harnessed yoke that they would be tied together with. In fact, God himself even commands in the word of God, Deuteronomy 22.10, God said this, do not plow, listen, with an ox and a donkey yoked together. God, even God even cares about farming. God says, I want you to farm well. So don't be cruel to the animals and don't be unproductive. Do not plow your field with an ox yoked together with a donkey because they are two completely different animals with different natures, different temperaments. The ox was, was you know, able to pull much more weight and, and the ox was typically a lot more compliant. Donkeys are known to be what? Stubborn and rebellious. And, and so they had different temperaments and different natures. They would think differently. They would behave differently. They had different you know, uh, ways of going about how they would operate. So that would only become problematic and counterproductive, but it was even harmful to the animals themselves. If you had two animals of different type yoked together, it wasn't only unproductive, it was actually dangerous for the animals. And typically it was more dangerous for the stronger animal Because as the ox tried to pull forward in the right direction and be compliant, as the donkey was being rebellious and sitting back on its hinds, sometimes the ox would break its neck trying to pull the donkey forward. Isn't that a great picture? You're unequally yoked with someone spiritually. Oh, I'm the strong one. I'm the Christian. Right. You're the one that's going to suffer because you're going to break your neck spiritually trying to pull their weight forward because they're not wanting to go in that direction or they're not going in that direction right now. So the metaphor here was a a real thing that they understood, but it was a spiritual metaphor of how Paul's saying, look, I'm drawing an analogy here as a Christian, as as a new creature, right? Paul said that you're a new creature in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. As a Christian, he says, you have a new nature now, a nature that is spiritual. You have a Christ-like nature, the spirit of the Lord's within you. And now you have a totally different nature than an unbeliever has internally in their heart because they've not yet been filled with the spirit of God yet if they don't know God in a relationship. So as the result of that, he's saying, look, this is just a reality. There are two different natures between a Christian, a believer, and a non-believer. They think differently. They process life differently. They see things differently. They have different desires and goals and 
And he's saying as a result of that, if a Christian tries to yoke up and partner up in close attachment relationally with an unbeliever, whether it's in a dating relationship, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in business, whether it's in a close friendship, God's saying it's going to be problematic, just like the animals in the field. It's going to be problematic and difficult and frustrating and even potentially harmful. It's even going to actually do more harm, especially to the spiritual life as well as practically. Let me be clear before we go on what the Bible is not saying here when he says do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. This is not declaring that if someone as a Christian is currently in a marriage covenant with an unbeliever, which would make them then unequally yoked in their marriage if they're a Christian and their spouse is not a Christian. The word of God is not saying here that if you're a Christian and now you're unequally yoked being married to a non-Christian, that you should look for a way to end that marriage or to divorce and to try and marry a Christian. That is not only just A, ridiculous, B, that's a violation of Scripture. That is not the will of the Lord. Yet sometimes, let's just be candid, This happens, right? Sometimes two unsaved people get married. And then thankfully, by the grace of God, right? One of them gets saved. And now that person knows Jesus. And they find themselves married to a non-Christian who doesn't yet know Jesus. And now they're unequally yoked spiritually. And that's a challenge. And it has some difficulty and it makes things hard to kind of navigate when you're unequally yoked spiritually. Other times, Christians sadly compromise. And they disobey the word of God and they get into a relationship with a non-Christian and they go so far as as a Christian, they actually choose to compromise and marry a non-Christian. And now they're unequally yoked spiritually. Now they're in that marriage. Listen, I can tell you this, that becomes very challenging to navigate. I have a few people I'd gladly let you have a chat with if you're navigating that. It's hard. That's difficult to be unequally yoked in a marriage relationship, no matter how that may have come to pass. Yet 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Peter chapter 3 instruct that in that situation, the Christian is to remain in the marriage relationship. That is now their number one ministry. Their number one ministry is, God, I'm unequally yoked. I'm in a marriage relationship. The covenant of marriage is to be honored whether I got saved and they're just not saved yet or whether I compromised and made a mistake and I, in my flesh, ended up marrying this person who wasn't a true believer. And Lord, give me the grace to be a good witness, to walk faithfully with Jesus, to love them, to pray for them. And the Bible says that is our ministry or calling if a Christian were to find themselves in that position, no matter how it got there. And to be hopeful that God will use you to ultimately lead them to salvation. And we've seen that happen many times. As a Christian has faithfully loved and prayed and been a good witness to their spouse, there are times by the grace of God that eventually that other spouse does get saved. And that is the command of the Lord to remain in that marriage, to try and make that work. That if they don't abandon you or depart from you as the unbeliever, that as the Christian, you're not to terminate it. If they choose to terminate it, or they, then, then God's given provision for that. But that you are to see that as your number one ministry, if they're willing to remain, and in hopefulness that they ultimately will come to the conclusion, and I've seen this many times over the years, where someone who's the unsaved spouse, they can't figure it out, but they know one thing. All I know is, since this Jesus thing started in your life, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I'll tell you this, I'm kind of liking what this is doing to you. You're getting nicer. You love me more. You've become a servant. You've become humble. You've become kind. And and, and that's what we want to happen, that it would be a testimony. So the word of God here is in no way commanding that a Christian married to a non-Christian end that marriage covenant. What God's word is saying here is not to be deceived and compromised by allowing yourself to become unequally yoked when you have the power to control that. It's a command to those to not establish close attachment. So what does that mean? Well, let's be very clear. That means none of this missionary dating nonsense. None of this, oh, well, I mean, just, I mean, all the Christian guys, they're so dorky. I mean, but the non-Christian guys. 
or, you know, all the Christian and, and, and then, you know, there's this, and all of a sudden, well, I mean, just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring them to church. They respect my Christianity. They think it's great that I love Jesus or, or they say they're going to honor my values or my, you know, uh, you know, convictions. And, and someday they're going to, they're going to come to church on Christmas Eve with me. And, and they're, and they're, and you know, I mean, and, and you know, they only carry a gun on the weekends now. They're, they're cutting back just to be safe during a drug deal. So they can take me out Saturday night. They carry a drug, a gun fry. And, and we make all these crazy, crazy little compromises. And well, and just, well, I'm going to lead them to Jesus. I'm just through my love and my relationship. No, that's not what's going to happen. They're going to be a donkey and you're going to be the ox and you're going to try and pull them forward. and You're going to break your neck spiritually. It's what always, always happens. Don't do that nonsense. You're going to establish emotional attachments. And then you may establish physical attachments because you're going to compromise. And you're going to have sex and you're going to get attached to somebody. And you're going to compromise and you're going to become unequally yoked and married to an unbeliever. And you will live with the consequence of that challenge for many years to come. So he's saying, look, don't allow that. Don't compromise. Be careful of that. The whole purpose of dating is to find out if that's a marriage partner. The Bible is very clear. A Christian is not supposed to marry a non-Christian. The word of God is so clear on that. It's just not. So, so why would you begin to date in that direction? I mean, it's just asking for the devil to just interfere in a very unhealthy way. You know, and, and if they see you living a compromised Christian life, you think you're going to lead them to Jesus by you compromising? How's that a strong testimony? So he says, look, none of this missionary dating stuff be unequally yoked with a non-Christian person. It's hard enough for two Christians to date. Amen. Anybody ever try that? Two Christians dating's hard enough before marriage. So he says, none of this missionary dating, no marrying a non-Christian. I mean, why? And then he says, again, don't be unequally yoked. And I think as well, be wise as far as close attachments. I think this is something that should be taken into consideration from a business perspective. You're going to go into a close business partnership. Or I'm not saying we don't work with unbelievers, but you know, entering into joint ventures where you're deciding things together and there's an equal sharing and there's just close partnership. And you have two totally different value systems of what's acceptable and ethical, what's right and what's wrong. And now you're trying to work together because you've entered into this business partnership. He's warning here, steer clear from these close attachments and partnerships where you jointly do things in close partnership with unsafe people. Don't do that, he says. It's not going to work out. It's going to be problematic. You're going to struggle because you're going to be trying to go in opposing ways. You have different value systems. You have different ideas of what's right and acceptable and unacceptable. Be wise, he's saying here. Avoid these close connections where you join together with unsafe people. Do not be unequally yoked. It will hinder your walk as they influence and interfere spiritually. And then Paul just asks these rhetorical questions to kind of drive home as if he needs to the point he just made there in verse 14. That's why he says going on verse 14, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? The word fellowship means successful partnership. So think of his common sense there. He's saying, look, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And he says, what successful partnership is going to happen where you have two people trying in partnership to participate in the same thing where one person wants to do what's righteous and do what's right and obey the word of God and follow the word of God. And then the other person has a completely different perspective. They're willing to do what's unrighteous. They don't really care what's right before God or right towards other people because they have a different value system because they're an unbeliever. And so therefore they'll disregard the word of God. They'll disregard maybe even civil law or live without boundaries because all they care about is doing what's right in their sight, not what's right in the sight of God. He then goes on to say, secondly, and what communion, that word means shared partnership when two are doing the same, what communion or shared partnership, he says, is there between, notice, light and darkness? Well, that's an obvious analogy. None. <laughs> you either have darkness or light. They don't coexist together. 
They're two opposing forces. It's a spiritual metaphor, of course. Living in God's light speaks of living in God's holiness and purity. Living in darkness speaks of spiritual darkness or or living in sin. So what he's asking again, he's saying, think this through. He's saying it doesn't work when one person is trying to walk in the light and do the right thing before God. And the other person in the relationship or partnership is wanting to do or willing to do dark things and engage in sinful practices. He's saying that's not going to work. What's going to happen is one of two things. There's going to be a constant conflict or there's going to be compromises happening in your Christian life because when they want to do dark things that they're willing to do, your weakness in your flesh is going to get you to start doing dark things. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writing to the Ephesians says this. Listen to what he says to Christians. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Don't be fooled by those who want to try to excuse these sins. Don't participate in these things that people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Don't participate in the things that these people are doing. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people will do in secret. The idea is in the dark that people don't know about. And he's saying, don't allow that to happen. What partnership can there be between light and darkness? He's saying that they're not intended to be together. They're two opposing forces. And then he boldly says, verse 15, and what accord has Christ with Belial? The word Belial was an ancient name at times that was used interchangeably to refer to Satan or the devil. So what Paul's saying here is, and that word accord is where we get our English word symphony, right? Symphony speaks of things that work together in harmony. So he's saying here, in what way does Jesus work in harmony with Satan? In what way ever, how does the spirit of Satan ever work in a harmonious, cooperative way with the spirit of Jesus? Never. It's not even possible. They're utterly opposed. You can't be more clear. And look, the Bible tells us that the believer has the spirit of Jesus living inside of us. Now, the Bible also teaches, though it may offend someone who doesn't understand the word of God or sound strong to us, the Bible also teaches that before we're converted and the spirit of the Lord enters inside of us, the Bible teaches the condition inwardly of the unbelievers, they are still ruled as a slave of the devil. That is the spirit of the power of the prince of this air, the spirit of darkness is what is the guiding ruling influence in their hearts. So what Paul is asking here in verse 15, is he says, what part then has a believer with an unbeliever? He's saying, if Jesus is ruling your heart and Satan is the guiding ruling influence in the heart of the unbeliever, then he says, how in the world could that partnership work? There's no way that it could work of any benefit or spiritual health. It's the Bible's caution here again. Don't be naive, Paul's saying. Be wise, Paul's saying here. Don't be foolish and make compromises in your attachments. Be careful, he says, with close partnerships and connections with unsaved people that can severely restrict or hinder your spiritual walk. Now, we want to keep scripture in balance. By no means is God's word saying to us here that what we are to do as Christians is have nothing to do with unsaved people. Again, that's out of balance and unbiblical. The Bible is very clear. We're not to completely detach ourselves in every way and have no connection and interaction with or relationship with non-Christians. That would hinder us from building bridges to lead people to Christ, right? And what did Paul just say in the very last chapter? He told us as Christians, we were what? Ambassadors for Christ. Who are intended to do what? Help reconcile people into relationship with God. 
Now, you can't be a very good ambassador if you don't build relationships with people. (laughs) You're not going to be a very good ambassador on foreign soil if you don't build relationships, spend time with, talk to, and build relational bridges to be effective in your role. You need to use relationships strategically as an ambassador to win them over through conversations and help them to see things the way that they need to see them. So as Christians, we're ambassadors for Christ. We have to let our light shine. We have to have a degree of connection and relationships to witness to people, to lead them to Jesus. It's not about total disconnection from the unsaved and living in this holy little bubble like a monk up on a hill where you only interact with Christians. That's not what God called us to do. Jesus interacted with sinners, did he not? He ate dinner with them. He spent time with them, but he was influencing them. They weren't infecting him. That's the difference. See, the concept is we have to remember as a Christian, what God's calling us to is contact without contamination. Let me say that again. Contact without contamination. Contact with non-Christians, interaction, spending a degree of you know, interaction and conversation and maybe establishing relationships without allowing contamination of their sinful lifestyle to begin to influence us in an unhealthy way spiritually or going too far. Keeping a balanced degree of connection, not getting too connected, where we then start yoking up with them in a degree that's much too close of an attachment. And that we would realize the goal is here, I am an ambassador, and I'm going to use the relationship strategically. I'm going to be influencing them. And if at any point I'm not influencing them for Christ, but they're starting to then influence me in an unhealthy spiritual way, the relationship's gotten out of balance. And so God calls us to have relationship, but to be wise in how we manage that. He says, verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God? That's where God was honored, right? You honor God and his temple with the temple of idols, where you honor other things by disregarding God. So he's saying, ask yourself, evaluate what's most important in your life. He's saying, is there anything or anyone that's made you start to disregard God a little bit because that thing or that person or something has become like an idol and now it's replacing God's importance in your life. He's saying, be careful of this. And then Paul reminds him of a spiritual principle, verse 16. He says, for you are the temple of the living God. God's people are the dwelling place of God's presence. Literally, by his spirit, he lives within us. He lives among us. He literally dwells by his spirit within our lives. Now, that's true birth of the church collectively. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that the church body is God's temple. So God's presence is among us by his spirit. We should always remember that. We should always measure every meeting that we have, not was the presence of the people pleased, but was the presence of God what was pleased because God's with us and his presence dwells among us. And so that's how we should gauge. Was it a good gathering or or, Lord, was your presence pleased? Because your presence is with us. And in the same way as an individual Christian, God's spirit, his presence dwells within us. First Corinthians six, Paul said, don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. You were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. So our individual lives, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, God's spirit dwells within us, lives within us and is always with us as an individual believer. And Paul then quotes a few Old Testament passages, and he strings together here similar truths in verse 16 from Leviticus 26, Jeremiah 32, Ezekiel 37. He says, as God has said, and he quotes these multiple unique passages. I mean, what a working knowledge of the word of God. He says, I will dwell in them, walk among them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, all of those different Old Testament passages reinforce the same truth. And I love how Paul, when he teaches, says, I don't think these are just some ideas. He presents a truth and then he bases it off of scripture. He reaches back and grabs all these different Old Testament statements to reinforce the biblicalness of his own teaching. He says, look, 
It's always been the purpose of God for his spirit to dwell within us, to be among us, to walk with us, to be our God. Therefore, anything we do as a church, he's involved in anything we do personally, he's included in. So therefore, at times, if we start to allow partnerships that don't please God to be a part of our life, we're including God in that. If we start to engage in sins or do things that are not right before God, we're including God in that. That's what the church in Corinth was doing. And Paul's saying, you got to wake up to that. You're including God in this stuff. That's a sobering reality. The sobering reality to me at times when I do something wrong or sinful or I have in the past to realize God's spirit's within me as Christian, I just included God in that. Oh my goodness. I just included God in that because God's with us. That's intended to keep us sober and make us want to live in a pure and a holy way. And Paul brings God's word to help resolve how to take care of that error when it does arise. Look what he says, verse 17. Again, he says, look, God's given us advice. Therefore, God says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Here, Paul quotes from Isaiah 52, Ezekiel 20, 2 Samuel 7. Again, he pulls these different verses in verse 17 here and he declares God's fatherly exhortation and loving correction that they in Corinth and we sometimes too, right, all need to hear And that is this, God says, come out from among them, disconnect from them, be separate, says the Lord, and don't touch what's unclean. Notice God calls us at times to separate ourselves from something or someone that may be contaminating our spiritual life. And God says sometimes it's necessary to make a choice in faith to separate yourself like Abraham had to do with Lot, and that was a family member. And God says, that thing, that person, it's toxic, they're toxic, it's contaminating your spiritual life. You got to disconnect. You got to separate. You've become yoked together, and sometimes God calls us to separation in our spiritual lives. If we've gotten our hand involved in some unclean thing, and you know, sometimes God says, you gotta let go of that. And sometimes we get our hands into things that our hands should not be involved in in Christians. And sometimes perhaps we have to let go of something we've been doing. We need to let go and take our grip off of it, no matter what we think or how we feel. I mean, Jesus said some pretty radical things about having your hands involved in wrong things. Remember, Jesus said, if your hand's offending you, what did he say? Cut it off. Now, I don't think that was literal in the sense. I mean, none of us would even have hands anymore this morning. Wouldn't take that long. And you can cut off my hands. I'll still get in trouble. But the, the concept was, it was just a strong, Jesus was saying, look, if something's causing you to struggle spiritually, even if it hurts, cut it off. Get radical. Do whatever you got to do. Cut it off. Let it go. He says, don't let it begin to have a hindrance in your life. And God even graciously says here in our verses, and I, verse 17, will receive you. Notice God says, look, if you turn from what you need to turn from, separate from what you need to separate from, cut out of your life what needs to get out of your life, God says, I'm not angry. I'm ready to forgive you. And I'll receive you right back into good, healthy relationship with me. I love Jeremiah 3 and 4 because God's speaking to people who've entered into lots of error and sin and mistake. And God says to them, pleading with them, return to me. I'll receive you back. I'll heal your backsliding. God's just saying, please turn away from that. Just return back to me. God says, I'll receive you. I'm ready. And how wonderful to have that invitation of God as a loving father. Because what does God want primarily? relationship. That's why he says, verse 18, I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God's indicating all I want is just to be a good father to you. And any parent knows, right? It is so much more enjoyable and easy to parent a child that's cooperative and obedient than rebellious, right? You can do so much more for them. When they're rebellious and it's, then, you know, it's like, I want to do nice things for you. I want to guide you. I want to protect you. I want to help you. But your rebellion's making it hard for me. 
Even as much as I love you as a parent, you don't love them any different. You may like them a little less, but you don't love them any different, right? But when they're cooperative, no, I can be a father. I want to bless you. I want to help you and protect you. And God, you know, God says, I just want to be a father. I just want to be a father to you. But if something's come in between me and you as a father, God says, look, let's just remove it because it's just hindering our relationship. And, and God knows the best thing for us is when we're in a good, close relationship with him. God only wants to remove from my life or your life anything or anyone that would hinder a close relationship with him. Now, again, despite the chapter break, it doesn't fit the thought flow to break the chapter. So look what verse 1 of chapter 7 says as we conclude. Therefore, Paul says, in light of what I've just said, that's a connection term, having these promises. What promises? That God's always with us. That God loves us like a father. That God's always willing to receive us back, even when we fail and guide us and parent us and help us to get back on the right track. And he's ready to forgive us and bring us back into close relationship. Paul's saying, in light of these promises, we should be compelled to want to pursue, he says, holy lives. Let us cleanse ourselves in light of these things, he says, beloved. Notice, let us. Paul's indicating that we all struggle sometimes. He includes himself. Let us. Cleanse ourselves, rid ourselves from all filthiness, whatever's defiling us spiritually, filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting, establishing, maturing holiness in the fear or respect of God. Notice the Bible says sometimes we have to rid ourselves, repent from both sins of the body or of the flesh, as well as he mentions here sins of the spirit. So he says, sometimes there are sins of the body, that is sinful activities that our bodies are actually practicing. That should be self-explanatory. Behaviors that are sinful, actions that are sinful. If we're doing those things, he says, we need to rid ourselves from practicing sinful behaviors. But notice he also says that we also should cleanse and rid ourselves from, he says, filthiness and sins of the spirit. Ouch. That is the inner life, things that maybe nobody else sees, but things that are still sin just as much, like pride and unforgiveness and bitterness and lust and anger and jealousy or laziness or fear or unnecessary worry and anxiety or attitudes of our heart that are just displeasing to God, even unbelief. And look, when the Holy Spirit identifies sins in our life, we must confess what is wrong. We must be willing to turn in repentance to the Lord and away from that sin of the spirit or the behavior and seek to please God. And this is important because sin hinders our walk with God. Ladies and gentlemen, if there is ever a time when it's good not just to be a hearer of the doer of the word of God, let us respond to whatever God's spirit through God's word is saying to us this day. If there is anything or anyone in your life that is hindering your relationship with God, I beseech you as your brother in the Lord, don't dismiss that. Deal with it. Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you.